Hello and welcome to Better Than the Movie. I am Jeanette, she is Tamika, and we are here talking books. Hola, como esta? Hi, how are you? <laughs> I'm blessed and highly faith with you. I'm doing well. I'm just, you know, living my best life. How about yourself? <laughs> so we're just going to keep asking each other how we doing? Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Where can the people find us on the internet, Tamika? You can find us in all of our episodes at betterthanthemovie.com. You can also find us on Twitter at betterthantm. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash better than the movie. And if you are so inclined, you can leave us a Google voice number at 210-816-2886. We also have Instagram, which is better than the movie. (laughs) And Instagram, on Instagram. Just search it. That's it. So bright. Oh, my God. So the Tonys are coming up. Listen, or maybe they will have already passed. Yeah, they are coming up, and they will have already passed by the time the show is put up. But I'm about fucking sick of them. Like, let's bring it on and get it over with. Dude, I'm so ready for it to be over with, but I'm not going to see it live because uh, I got a lot of stuff going on tomorrow. Yeah. So I'm DVRing them, um, which I probably won't even have to because I could just check into my Twitter feed in between me driving to different places and people update me on everything. But I'm so tired. See, that's kind of the problem with that I have now, especially with awards and any kind of TV event. I want to watch them, but then I'm like, I don't really want to sit through all of it. And then I want to see the performances, but I don't want to sit through all of them either. So it's kind of like, do I watch it live or do I just catch the parts I want on YouTube or wherever the hell people are going to post them. Because I can find Tony performances back from 1993 right. on YouTube. <laughs> you know, I want to see um, what Hamilton's going to do. Um, but I feel like if you have not seen the play, it'll be a surprise. If you have seen the play, it will not be a surprise. Is that how it goes? I feel every, like, yeah. Every Tony performance I've ever seen has just been a... Um, just a scene from the show. So mm-hmm. I don't like I'm not even really looking forward to that. <laughs> like I'm I'm sorry. Like y'all know we love Hamilton and we and all of that jazz, but I'm just kinda like kinda tired of the promo and tired of it a little bit. Like it's time for them to go away. And that's not nice. It's not, but you know what? Um I am experiencing Hamilton myself. Um, yeah. And I think it's because of the incessant coverage by every outlet everywhere. Like I'm, I'm so it's coming here in the fall. And I'm going with a group of friends. I'm trying to get excited about it. Tickets are on sale soon or whatever. But I'm just like, ugh, I'm so tired of hearing about Hamilton. <laughs> and we're also, you know, I think that we were kind of into it before everybody else. Not trying to be hipster about it, but. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like before they did the Grammys, before when it really, before it really caught on, and so it's kind of like I've been kind of into Hamilton for a very long time, and I'm still a huge fan, still love it, obviously. But I'm just going. I don't understand the point of promoting something that most people can't go see if they wanted to, <laughs> and then like the Tonys are not voted on by the people. I guess it's like Oscars. You got to play the game a little bit, but it's very much. It's tiring. I was looking, I was telling you the other day, y'all, 
Hamilton tickets for the front row are seven thousand seven hundred dollars. Um, if you want to get tickets through Ticketmaster, like through resellers, seven thousand seven hundred folding green American dollars. All right. When we went, we were in the back. We were in the back, and. Those tickets, we got them at face value, but even like the week after, if I looked at like for dates for the week after, they were already at $600. That was back in April. Now, they are selling for $1,900. My God. $1,900, which um, I'm kind of like, I think Lin-Manuel wrote this thing in the New York Times op-ed about ticket bots or whatever, great, but at the same time, like y'all gotta be able, I know there's... But it can't just be ticket bot chill because like the fact of the matter is some regular ass people probably are reselling too. Yeah. Um because the limit to buy tickets was fourteen per person. Yeah. Yeah. Who makes a limit of fourteen per like most concerts I feel like stop at like eight. Eight, they do. And then, you know, I know that the venues have deals with Ticketmaster and you can't just drop, you know, he wants to be able to sell them from the website. Because remember, you know, people have kind of come down on them a little bit for it, but they don't see any of that money. So if the ticket was three hundred dollars on on face value, that's all they see. They don't see yep. the seven thousand four hundred dollars that no, who people need to be coming at is Ticketmaster, because Ticketmaster see some of that chop and the initial chop. And stuff up. It's it's insane. And I'm ready for it to tour. I'm ready for more people to be able to see it because I think that's also contributing to the incessant coverage of it as people are just excited to be able to see what the fuss is about. And it totally lives up to the hype, but it don't live up to seven thousand seven hundred dollars worth of hype. Nothing no, can. You'd have to resurrect some folks from the dead for to get me to pay seven thousand. To get me to play seven thousand, better be a Jesus concert. And when I say Jesus concert, I don't mean gospel music. I mean literally, <laughs> Jesus should be coming back. That's a lot. Of money. That's <laughs> a lot of money. It is a great show, but do not break yourself going to go see it. <laughs> don't break yourself. Anyway, we've got an incredible book to talk about. Incredible. We are going to talk. This episode of Better Than the Movie is going to be exclusively about the book Homegoing by Ya Gayasi. That's all I got. I feel good about it. All right. Um, so, do you want to tell the people what it's about? Because my book jacket itself is on the other side of the room. <laughs> <laughs> sure, only because the book is right in front of me right now. So, a novel of breathtaking sweep and emotional power that traces 300 years in Ghana and along the way also becomes a truly great American novel. Um, two half-sisters, Afia and Essie, are born into different villages in the 18th century in Ghana. Afia is married off to an Englishman and lives in the comfort of the palatial rooms of the Cape Coast Castle. Unbeknownst to Afia, her sister Essie is imprisoned beneath her in the castle's dungeons, sold with thousands of others into the Gold Coast's booming slave trade, and shipped off to America, where her children and grandchildren will be raised in slavery. Run one thread of homegoing follows Afia's descendants through centuries of warfare in Ghana as the Fante and Asante nations wrestle with the slave trade and British colonization. Mm. The other thread follows Essie and her children into America, from the plantations of the South to the Civil War and the Great Migration, from the coal mines of Pratt City, Alabama, to the jazz clubs and dope houses of 20th century Harlem. Right up through the present day, homegoing makes history visceral and captures with singular and stunning immediacy how the memory of captivity came to be inscribed in the soul of a nation. 
Mm-hmm. Oh God. Okay, so that blur, that summary, blurb, whatever, did not make me want to read this book. <laughs> and I was like, oh Lord, that sounds cumbersome. Um, but the but the book is is actually. What are your overall thoughts? The book was. Uh, let me just give a little bit of um of like you know, the specs on this, because that sounds like some sort of, like, sweeping, crazy, you know... Slave epic. Slave epic. It's about 300 pages, which isn't bad. Um, I was able to read it in about um, a day and a half, maybe two days. So was I. Look at us. You still finished it before me, and I know I started... on the same path. I started half a day after you. I finished it mere hours before recording this show. Whatever. So <laughs> no, I really did. <laughs> no, it was. It, it is. And so you know, the book um, is really. This, so you open it up, and I'm not gonna go too crazy with it. But there's a family tree in the front of the book, and when I saw that, it made me not want to read it even more. <laughs> so I was like, oh lord, because I just kept thinking, okay, because you have you've you've read these books where there's like a family tree and it goes through generations to generations and it gets really kind of cumbersome in parts and like roots. Yeah, and then there's parts where it's just like I don't need to know about that family member. Who cares? <laughs> and so I was not looking forward to it. Um but it ended up really working. I kept thinking like um we were able to you sent me a copy of this book, bless you. Um I was like man I'm so glad I didn't read this on Kindle. Or audiobook. Like, don't do that to yourself. Because I kept having to flip back, back to the to front. The Me too. Yeah. Yeah. To um, reference the family tree so you could see. Yeah. And I kept getting, like, especially as it went further um, down the family yeah. tree, mm-hmm. the names started to be like, there wasn't like these names are African and these names are English. It was just very, like, it started to get kind of mixed up, actually, kind of early on. And so. I kept thinking if I was reading this on the Kindle, I would be furious. Like, I would be dis- I would be, you know, ah. So if you're going to read it on Kindle or your audio, I guess you can't really do it with audiobook, but if you're going to do it on Kindle, that family tree that you come to first, maybe write that down. <laughs> or, Seriously, like, I was going to say, pull out your notebook and go ahead and diagram your own or, version of that family tree. Or take a picture of it or something because you're going to need you're it. You're going to reference it often. Yeah, yeah I would I not. Because I think every new chapter I referenced it. Me too. And I would say also, if you're going to read this on audiobook, you're just going to have to keep up because yeah. that that is the nature of it. But that's what were your what were your overall impressions of the book? Like over. So my overall impressions of the book um, from percentages one through 40 was, oh, my God. Okay. And then from like 40 to like 73 was like, ooh. And then, like, 73 to 100 was, like, okay. So, balancing all of that together... Did you read this on Kindle? No, I read it... I got a copy on the book like you got well, I'm just, I just think it's interesting that you say percentages instead of... Oh, these are not, like, accurate numbers. Okay, okay. okay. Not that precise. Um, but so... Overall, I really liked the book until I got to the end. Okay, so we'll get there. Yeah. (sighs) Okay, so the best way, we talked about it, the best way to go through this book is to kind of address characters, different characters, um, because this is very character-driven. You 
we are going to no we're not you know guys know by now that we uh, do not do a spoiler free um, when we talk about books we don't do it spoiler free um, think of this as a book club so <laughs> if you have not read this book and you want to read this book and you don't want to give anything us to give anything away go ahead and turn it off and then come back to it when you're done because as try as we might it's just not gonna happen so um, I want to talk about the format of this book first before we get into it okay so the way that she does this is really good like <laughs> oh 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 wait 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 I didn't give my overall yeah okay um I thought it was really good I, there were some parts that disturbed me, but not necessarily. I think it was more themes that disturbed me um, that I didn't I didn't care for. But this book is when people tell me that a book is good or that a writer is good, like this is what I mean. Like the standard, this book is my standard of a good book, um, which is high because a lot of effort went into this, a lot of work and research and time and just raw skill uh, goes into creating something like this. Um, and I don't mean to be like literary snob, but when people give me a book and say, oh, you'll love it, it's really good, this is one of my books where this is like, I'm sorry, but I do measure books <laughs> against things like this. Like this is going, she's going to, this is one of my favorites that I've read in a while. Um, I liked her writing that much. Like we're talking not quite Juno, but she's up, up there. there. She's up there. Yeah. This is crazy. Anyway. So the, the structure of this book is we're following the family tree um, just right now on both sides of the family tree. Um, and each story is one person in that tree's a, a section, you know what I mean, a piece of their life, a point in their life, um, and it's telling a story. And when, that, when their chapter ends, you might not hear <laughs> much from them again. So it's not a thing where these people are having all this interaction with each other. Um, you don't hear from grandma 50 chapters down. I mean, you do in some cases, but it's not um, common. It's not common. You know, once it's over with, for some of these people, it's over with. You don't hear about them anymore. Maybe in passing, maybe there's some reference to them. Um, Which in one case really kind of incensed me, but we'll get to that. Okay, so let's get started. All right. All right. So the first... The people, I don't even know how to start. The book centers around Effia and Essie. Um, Effia and Essie. They are half-sisters. Um, they're half-sisters because they share a mother. But they don't know each other. They've never met each other. Um, and there was a passage in the book that says sisters, half-sisters. What is it? About the reflection in the water. Oh, I forgot what it said, and I didn't mark the page. But it was like sisters who have never met or like reflections in the water and they can see each other but they'll never, you know, their lives will never touch. They'll never know that's each other. And that's, yeah, and that's kind of what we have here. So um, when Effia is born, she is born to a, um, is he a warrior, a big man? Yeah. Okay. Um, in their village. And she is Fanta? Yes. Okay. And so her father... And treats her well, but her mother, or the woman that she thinks is her mother, does not treat her well. And we later find out that her mother was actually 
um, the housemaid, house girl that her father had essentially raped, right? Mm-hmm. And um, chased her off into the woods. But she had a baby before. Oh, shit, I'm messing it up. Didn't she have a baby before she came there? Or she took one and left the other? I think Afia was the one that was left. And right. Essie was born after. Right. And so, oh, yeah, when she went to another village. And, right. And, okay. And so both of these um, girls had pretty good lives. I think Essie was a little bit better as far as, like, her mother. Once she fled and she was accepted into another village, her dad was, like, you know, kind of the man. He was, like, the warrior, their greatest warrior in her village, which was an Asante village. Um Afia, meanwhile, is being abused and <laughs> mistreated by her stepmother um, in the worst possible way, I think. And she kind of sets her up to be, she wanted to marry or be the wife of um, this young kind of up-and-coming warrior. But the mom, the stepmom had other plans for her. So she manipulates the situation so that she ends up uh, married to a white British soldier. That's the quickest way I can get y'all there, okay? <laughs> and so um, let's start with talking about uh, Afia and Essie's lives. What okay. You, how did you feel? What did you think? So Afia, her, like she at face value had the charmed life because she married into the opulence of the white man's world Mm -hmm. but she was actually just a concubine because that white man was married to somebody else back off in england right had a whole family like kids and everything and whenever he heard from his family back off in england he was like actually afia i'm gonna need you to go somewhere like i'm not trying to be around you so while at you know at quote unquote like face value i guess or whatever her life seemed to be better but um I thought Essie's story was more dynamic. Yeah. Um, and I hate to say it was because of the whole capture and slavery aspect. Um, yeah. It definitely paid a big part. So at one point, so she moves into, they have this thing called the Gold, is it the Gold Coast Castle? The castle? Uh, the Cape Coast Castle. Cape Coast Castle. Um, and in this castle is where all these British soldiers live. And it's kind of like, you know, it's not castle in the sense of this tiny thing. It's more like a village within... You know, um, so she lives there, and right beneath her feet, <laughs> with um, holes underneath. There's holes in the floor, and right beneath her feet are where they are keeping. Uh, it's a dungeon where they keep slaves that are about to be shipped off, um, and these slaves are captured people. So during this time, there's all this war, right? And these these um, these troops. I'm going to call them troops. <laughs> these African villages, these tribes, that's what I wanted to say. They are fighting against each other and at this time it's commonplace to like take some, you know, the prisoners of war become the prisoners of war like anybody else's war that you hear. Y'all are ours, spoils of the war, unfortunately, y'all have to work for us, right? Um, It really struck me with that, that she left that in there and she didn't make apologies for it or any excuses for it, but I like that she did because oftentimes you'll hear from like sometimes white people who'll say like, well, y'all were selling each other and like, but it's not selling each other into slavery. We, well, yes, but the way that we had done 
you know, slavery at that time, like, you're a prisoner of war, so you are going to be our house girl. You know what I mean? We, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but, you know, there were village people who were working with the British to, um, to train slaves. And too, I thought it was interesting how she broke down, like, the different roles that the different tribes had in the slave trade. Yeah, yeah. Because, like, the Fonte were essentially, like, the brokers, Right. Like they were the ones that brought the slaves directly to the Brits. But then the Asantes were the ones who, like, captured people. Yes. Yes. Um, and so this was not – this was kind of – I don't know how to equate this. This, is, this would be like if we um, – how we keep prisoners of war now from different countries in the Middle East, unfortunately. And then we keep them and they do work or whatever. And then, you know, people from certain countries, I mean, states just started selling these people (laughs) because it was, what I'm trying to say is when people use that, oh, well, black people were, Africans were doing it to each other. It was kind of like, yeah, but in the context of war. And then it became this other thing. Like, until white folks showed up, there was nobody to sell them to. So y'all came here looking for people. Um, But at the time, you know, in in Ephesus tribe, they were trying to, um, make money, essentially. They wanted money. They wanted a prosperous village. They wanted, you know, to do big things, but they never had any intention of letting, no, I'm sorry, an Essie's tribe. They never had any intention of letting them take over, uh, the white people take over. It was very kind of a controlled thing, or so they thought. <laughs> but, you know, anyway. So what ends up happening to Essie? She gets captured in a very fucked up way. (laughs) A super fucked up way and ends up in the Cape Coast castle. So like I said, her, oh, you want to tell her story? Yeah. Huh? I don't. (laughs) I will. Okay. I will. So Essie is, um, this is so terrible. Like it was like, I gotta be fucking kidding me. So this girl, um, her dad, their dad, her father was, like I said, the big warrior in the, in the, um, in her village. And so they go off and they bring these girls back. I mean, this, these people back prisoners of war. And so one of the girls, they make their house girl. Right. And so, um, they're all, you know, she grew up just y'all ain't shit. Y'all are prisoners of war. I'm gonna spit on you, talk crazy to you. Cause that's what we do. And they had made some sort of, deal or bet or pact um, and she her mother wait, what was it with the whooping like her dad was like oh we have to break her because she was not a good house girl I'm yeah like about. so like she had to go and like gather water or whatever and she'd be you know sk- spilling water all out the pails blah 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 whatever she couldn't um, clean yeah her name was little dove is what it translated into yeah and so so what happened is that the mother was essentially kind of um covering for the house girl um, Mm -hmm. because she didn't want her in the first place and then the father's like no we gotta whip her into shape basically Um, and so the mother and the father were basically at odds because the father was like I'm about to test her and if she doesn't pass this test then I'm whipping the crap out of her until she learns how to get in line right and so she passed the test almost Um, the test was to carry the water buckets on over her shoulders um I don't know how many times or how many feet without spilling it. And so she did until the very end when she was putting it down and it sloshed and he beat the stew out and of And two drops hit the floor. Yeah. Yeah. And so the girl was like, 
she didn't speak anymore. Once I think did she find out her mother was a housemaid? The the mother had told little Dove that she had been a maid, that she had been a house girl, mm -hmm. and that she had another daughter and all those things. So she started to tell little Dove started to tell Essie these things, and Essie started to feel really bad about the way she was treating her. So she's like, "How do I make this right with you? You know, how do we how do we make the square up basically?" And she's like, "You can send a message to my father that I'm here." that I'm okay, that I'm here. And so Essie does. She goes out and she they have these messengers that run from village to village delivering messages and she did. And <laughs> here comes her daddy and the here comes the general. And there was um, they attacked them basically in the night and that is how she got Essie was captured. Her mother would not run away because she'd already been in the woods and ran away before. And um so Essie was captured, and she ended up, that's how she ended up in the dungeons of the coast castle. So, really fucked up way to get sold into slavery. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and so, I don't know. Where do we go from here? Do you want to talk about Ness? Sure, since we're talking about Essie. Okay. I, uh, uh, here's the so it's okay. So the way that the book is structured, right? Um, it's essentially it's kind of almost like a book of short stories too, because yeah. each chapter centers on one character, and you know, like Tamika said, like a snippet of their life, and so it goes back and forth between the two lines. So okay. you'll read about one of Aphia's descendants, then one of Essie's descendants, and so forth and so on. And so, it, yeah, I guess we can go to Ness and then Quay. And yeah, then, Quay's not that interesting, which is why I, it's in this. Yeah. All right, so um, Ness is, um, oh, her story is also fucked up, but she's probably my favorite character in the book. She ends up enslaved, oh, God, um, down south, obviously, <laughs> um, and she's, when we see her or when we meet her, she is just coming to, is it Alabama? Yep, Alabama. And she's the new... She's new there, and so, you know, everybody's kind of figuring out who she is or whatever, and there is another slave. Well, first, she's, like, really pretty, um, and so they were going to let her work in the house, but then they saw that she was so scarred that there was no way she could work on the house, which, so they made her a field, um, a field slave, and so she kind of befriends, starts to befriend the people there, but specifically a little girl whose father's name is Tim Tam, a man who kind of comes after her in the loving sense, in the romantic sense, but she declines, but she uh, eventually befriends his little girl who has not spoken since her mother died, um, and so she, the little girl's name is Pinky, and so they're all trying these schemes or whatever to try to make Pinky talk, and it doesn't work, and she's finally like, leave the girl the hell alone. She'll talk when she has something to say, and they become friends. But in this, you learn that um, Ness was previously married to, oh, the story was so heartbreaking, um, to another slave named Sam, and Sam was um, <laughs> Sam was a beast of a man. Like, he was not going quietly. He was tearing shit up. He was defiant. And uh, one, he had kept, like, breaking things and going off and trying to choke out the overseer, just flipping out. Like, Sam was a big man and everything. And so when he got there, they had basically made Ness marry him, which was not horrible, but they didn't know each other, so it was kind of stupid. So, And he, to... To add to it, 
he came straight from Africa. So it wasn't yeah. like he was a slave that came to the plantation. So he didn't speak any English. Yeah. And I don't think that the two dialects that they like, cause her mother taught her a bit of um, the dialect from her home uh, tribe, but I don't think that the two dialects that the two spoke were right. the same. Right. And so he, one of the nights he ends up like tearing up the slave quarters because he's just pissed. Like, where in the hell am I? And I, there's got to be a way out of this. Obviously, um, anybody would. And so instead of watching him be beat more, she says that she did it, and they beat her pretty severely. Um, but the, after that, that's when they kind of come together, and he kind of understands. Okay, she's got my back. She's my wife, and they're all good for the most part um, but she ends up they end up meeting another slave who is like hey I've been helping people run away y'all want to run away she's like mm, hell yeah we want to run away <laughs> so they um, after some months because Ness is a fighter she is not a resigned slave <laughs> she is like these people are the devil and <laughs> I want away from this like she calls their master devil <laughs> yeah like she is not playing no games she is not gonna fall in line she's not trying to accept this as her life you know what I mean and so she ends up her and Sam have a baby and they're like we're gonna leave and they leave and they get pretty far until they are caught tracked by the slave the dogs and so remember she had learned to, she was climbing a tree. She climbed a tree and they all climbed a tree. But the dogs tracked her tree. And they, and so she's like, okay, I'm going to get down. They're going to be mad at me, but I'm going to get down. And she doesn't have the baby. The other lady has the baby at the time. And so she gets down and Sam's thinking the same thing. So he gets down and they take them back. And she said, told the lady, no matter what happens, do not come down from this tree. And so the lady is able to escape with her baby. Which was just like <laughs> I had I had a moment. I was in Starbucks this morning. I was already emotionally charged because the Africans who were supposed to braid my hair weren't on their shit. Yeah. I'm reading this book. I just had to go and like politely close it, put it in my bag. Yeah grab my belongings and go to the bathroom and like sob for like 30 seconds. It sucked. It was so rough. And what, what I, what this, I won't tell you what, I mean, her punishment is the reason why she was so badly disfigured. I won't tell, we won't say that we don't need to say the rest of what happened. Right. We'll leave something, but she, um, this really made me think, you know, we are so, we hear slave stories about the try, you know, the horrors of it. And one of the things that kind of gets, I think said so much, maybe glossed over even, is the separation of mothers from children. Mm -hmm. And when you really sit with that, is there nothing crueler? You know what I mean? I mean, I know there are things crueler, but just psychologically, just the, the cruelty of slavery in itself is bad enough, but mm -hmm. to just but separate. pound that with separate. And like, her baby was an arm baby still. Yeah. So it wasn't like, um, you know, at least like, because it's 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 um it's terrible on both ends for the parent mm -hmm. to um be you know robbed of their child and you know seeing them grow and all of that and then for the child for never knowing that parent who they are where they came from yeah none of that so luckily the lady I forgot her name um that kept Sam I mean kept their baby I'm sorry she um did know a little bit about his life and mm -hmm. so she would 
would, would fill the baby in, but it was just so heartbreaking. The separation of mother and children, I just could not. Like, I think of my own kids, and if somebody just came along and said, okay, they're gone, you'll never see them again, we're taking them from you. Mm-hmm. Um, but then that, that mother's sacrifice of coming down out of that damn tree because I may not make it, but I want my child to make it. Oh, girl, I'm about to just tear up just thinking about it. Like, it was... This is why, not, that's why I said this is my favorite um, character and story in this book. Um, so then, you know, in contrast, well, you can run through Quay and James. Quay, yeah, pretty quickly. I feel like both of them we can run through fairly quickly. Um, because So Quay was born to Effia and her white man. Um, and he was basically rich. Rich, spoiled little pampered boy. Weak. Um, <laughs> super weak. Uh, may or may not have been gay. Oh, yeah, but we don't even go into that. Y'all got to read that part. No. I, I, I was not expecting that. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that either. But, um, yeah, so Quay, like, works for his dad at the castle or whatever. Um, and he also um, is in contact with... Um, his uncle on his mother's side. Uh, what is his name? Fifi. Fifi. Yeah, Fifi. Fifi. Yeah. Um, who treats him like a son, despite the fact of their parents not actually being biologically linked. Yeah. Um, but so yeah, so uh, Quay just got on my nerves because I really felt like that he was just not a very uh, definitive character. Yeah. Like, he just went along with whatever people told him to do. Yeah. And I, and uh, the one, there was the interesting, the story about him and his friend, which, you know, kind of where we're saying he may or may not have been gay is really interesting. And then also um, how he finally got a wife. Uh, they basically, his wife was a princess. Um, yeah, she was an Asante princess. And she had been her as a pawn in their war and they took her and they he married her because they knew that if he married her and she was part of his tribe now that they would not come for them for retribution yeah yeah that's basically it there's not a whole lot <laughs> to quay collins um then to quay and his stolen bride was born james and James was uh, a little bit better than Quay. I liked yeah. him. I liked him. Um, I liked him a lot better than Quay. Uh, and I thought that his story was more compelling. So James was the first character really um, on this side of the family tree that started to struggle with um, the way in which his family obtained their power and money. He really started to um, – he had issue with the trading of um, – people and so he went to his grandfather's funeral on his mother's side and his of course his grandfather was the Asante king essentially and um, there's a girl there that would not shake his hand because she was like I I'm, excuse you but I will not be shaking the hand of the man that trades his own people and he's got like well who are you talking to because it ain't like everybody is like, well, this whole receiving line is full of slavers yeah and that ends up being his wife. He goes after her, but not immediately. <laughs> no. Yeah, he had an arrangement. So he was, yeah, I was going to say, he was uh, destined to marry some woman to unite some tribes and such. And so he does as he's told. Yeah. And he marries this woman, um, always having uh, Akusua, who was the woman who said, bro, don't touch me. 
um, in the back of his mind um, as his one true love and the one person that he actually wants to be with in life. But she came from like a poor family, like no. Yeah, she came from nothing. So it was like he, in order for him to be with her, he had to kind of, he felt he had to kind of um, walk away. Not to be with her, but he was kind of, like I said, wanting to, struggling with how they made their money, how they made their, um, how they got their power, and he was wanting to just start from scratch. And so he did. And he became a farmer who was known as the unlucky, unlucky. farmer. Yeah. Unlucky. And yeah, so we kind of glossed over it, though. So what happened was that there was a war. Um, and he was presumed dead from that war, and that was how he was able to make his escape. Yeah, yeah. So um, those characters were not. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say the F- Essie's family tree stories were way more compelling, compelling than Effie's. And I had an issue with that, but we'll talk about that in just the next tale. Okay. Yes. All right. So of Ness and Sam. Um, the son that escaped was named Kojo. They named him Kojo, and he had some fake papers, and they ended up naming him Freeman, which is a common um, name for runaway slaves, or even freed slaves, I should say, not necessarily just runaway. And he ends up marrying a lady named Anna Foster, who has was born free. At this point, they live in Baltimore, and he works on the shipyards. He's really, really good at um, shippery. Ship work. Ship, <laughs> ship, shipmanship. <laughs> He's a good boatswain. I, I don't know. Anyway. He's shipping and stuff. Right. So, boats. so he, um, him and his wife have just the cutest relationship. They, um, the mother, I mean, his wife, and then the lady, I keep forgetting what they called her. Aku. Ma'aku. Aku. Ma'aku was the lady who raised him, and they work for a white family of abolitionists, and so they are very, you know, anti-slavery, um, and he works in the shipyards, and they have, like, a zillion kids, I think it's seven kids, and they, yeah. live in and they seem to have a really, really good life, but they got a lot of kids. Yeah, they, so they name their kids alphabetically, mm-hmm. yes. so at the time we meet them, um, she's pregnant with H. Yeah. Yeah, they don't know what his name is yet. They so, called so during this time, you know, the the abolitionists who they work for, the Matheson, I think was their name, mm-hmm. they um, were saying, hey, there's this new law that's coming up that's like anybody that they that they think that are runaway slaves can be brought to trial and returned to the South, and, you know, you guys might want to head back, I mean, further north to Canada or whatever. So... You know, a lot of the people stay. They're like, we've been running. I'm tired of running. We're not going to go. It'll be fine. We have our papers with us. It's all to the good. And so um, eventually this law is passed. And so it gets the, you know, she gets a little bit more real um, as people that they know start to disappear. Um, and so one day, this was really sad too, um, Anna goes missing. And they're looking for her, looking for her, looking for her. And he just never saw her again. That's it. <laughs> um, I hated how this part ended. I think I talked about not being pleased with one section in particular, okay. and this was it. Okay. Um, and it it was because and it was because I felt like we even got gypped, um, in the next section of their descendant as well. Oh yeah, because um, they never got to name him. So his name was H. So his name was literally H. Um, And we we learned Anna's fate, but it was a kind of like, by the way, a side type thing. Yeah. 
Um, and I know that Anna wasn't the descendant, so that's why we didn't learn about, you know, everything that happened to her. And I'm pretty sure that it was probably really terrible. Um, but I kind of, I don't know. It was at this point of the story that I started to feel like the black Americans were infinitely more fucked than the Africans. Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I was like, oh, come on. <laughs> come on. Yeah, because, like, the the African side of the family, don't get me wrong, they did have their trials and tribulations, but I felt like the American side was much more severe. Wait and that's minute. why the stories were more compelling. And I hated that because I felt like in the on the description it talked about, oh, they're stuck in the warfare of Ghana. And it was like these are like kind of inner tribal wars. They kind of she briefly mentioned like the war where the Asante's tailed off the Brit the British um like three times or whatever until they gave up or they didn't give up. But none of it was like, oh, we got they've taken over our villages and we're we're in turmoil every day. There's just we're kind of like, oh, <laughs> life you know. is upset from how it normally. Like the the second to last story mm -hmm. in that side was probably the most heartbreaking. Yeah, but even then, it was kind of like. Um, I think it was because they weren't dealing with this trauma from an outside force that they could not control. Mm -hmm. Like they could do nothing about. And I just felt like. This was a point, I think, with this story with Kojo's family, mm -hmm. I was like, I don't like this book. <laughs> I did. I felt like I really did. I think it's not the author's fault, but it was just kind of like, damn. <laughs> like, when are we going to yeah. catch a break? We never do, by the way. They never Spoiler do. Alert. Never do. And so it kind and then of too, um from 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 the American perspective too, uh, a lot of the times the story seemed kind of incomplete. Okay. Like I felt like there was a more fullness and like <sighs> with the with the Ghana side, like I felt like the like the pathway back made more sense. Mm -hmm. Side, mm -hmm. um, because like it, if you look at the last person on the American side, Marcus, he knows his dad. But he doesn't know like his great great whoever. H. I mean, that's, he didn't know right. he didn't know anything about H, right? But right. then you can look at Marjorie on Afia's side, and she knows who Afia is, right? But that's honest. That's what I it mean. Is. But it's fucked up still. <laughs> it's very fucked up, and it and it really kind of I think she presented it in a way that. Um, like when she talks about one of the, and I know we're kind of going off track, but this is important, y'all, who is the descendant of Ephia, uh, when he talked about history and... Yes, uh, that's actually pulled out that quote um, because I thought it was a really, really dope quote. And y'all is a school teacher and he's telling the, the boys in his class that, you know, history is only the stories of the people. Yeah, so... The quote is, this is the problem of history. We cannot know that which we were not there to see and hear and experience for ourselves. We must rely upon the words of others. And then he encourages them when you're reading something, a historical account, think about who is not being represented there and then find out their story and it'll give you a more complete, even though it's still a flawed picture. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like the thing that people, you know, and that's why when people get so 
why do you know black Americans get so like fucking pissed off when people say things like you don't have any culture or y'all ain't this or y'all ain't that? It's like, oh my gosh, well how would we? Like, of course you have a more rich culture if your if your family is from Africa because you can go back, you know, and, and that I know. tangible tangible evidence of what happened before you and were the here. best and the best kind of symbol of that was the stones and so the girl's mm-hmm. mother uh sc and Afia's mother uh they call her mame 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 mommy <laughs> mommy fine so they gave her she had each of them had identical stones they were black smooth stones with gold flecks in it and Afia carries hers and hers is passed down all the way until the present day like the last generation that we talk about in this book but Essie loses hers in the dungeons right before she shipped away um and I thought that was so good because I felt like well there it is you know there's yep. this piece that we don't we'll never get that luxury mm-hmm. and you know um there's an interesting discussion to be had about African-American and African dynamics and how we relate to each other and how we get along in this country um, because there's an assumption that the values are different and I don't think that's the case. Um, I think that things are passed down and attitudes are passed down and hopelessness is passed down. Yep. And I don't know. I think this book really explores what it does to you to not have any roots. Like it really does delve into the psychological effects of the because it it, history of African Americans black Americans whatever you want to call us is very transient Mm -hmm. Um, and while there is some oral tradition or there is um, in some cases tangible evidence of you know ancestors again we are so limited and it only goes back so far yeah and yeah. so, I don't know, I just... And when you look at the characters in the book, on Essie's side, the cir- their circumstances, like the one we just talked about with Kojo and Anna's family, mm-hmm. like what those circumstances shaped that family for the generations. For generations. And there's no explanation as to what happened to this person. You just have to push forward and carry on. Um... And they don't think, and you think it doesn't, it doesn't matter, but look at Marjorie compared to Marcus mm-hmm. and some of the things that he uh, feels and the things that he's having to deal with, with his family. The struggles that he's facing. As a result of what happened with his mother. And what is it, and so, and then when people say, oh, well, it's been so many centuries, you know, blah, blah, blah. No. 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 no, and I and I always resent that because I'm like people, especially white people. They say, "Oh, slavery was blah blah years ago. Get over it." I'm not responsible for what my ancestors did, but when your ancestors was the king of something, when you are saying that my person was the first Irishman to blah blah blah, you have pride in that, mm-hmm. but you don't want to take the shame that you should feel <laughs> for the things that you for your same ancestor being also the largest slaver. <laughs> like. Yeah. It was really heavy and it you know you you talk about slavery you talk about the the black American experience um, and we talk about it in such abstract terms mm-hmm. um, because like yes chronologically we are really far removed but no one really likes to take ownership 
mm-hmm. of the fact that those 400 years are still very much affecting the psyche of us today because it's seen at it's 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 being seen as being weak in some way mm-hmm. when I think that we just need to actually accept like this is you know this is the product of societal bullshit but then I'll compound it I also say that you know, while we're still affected by it, I think that white people have to explore how they're still affected by it. Because I think that they need to stop denying that they are still affected by it. Right, right, right. Because when you when you look at it, you're like we we can talk about Black's H's story, H H's story in just a second. But when you look at these stories, or hell, Kojo and Anna's, we can stop there. Hell, and there there you go. But when you look at the fact that you've had that your race in this country has been so powerful. Whatever you've wanted, you've taken um, at the expense of people's lives and their families and whatever. And you, even when they, these, uh, the different characters move up north, it's a different type of, you know, thing that they're dealing with, but a lot of it is the same. You can't live in this neighborhood. You can't go over here. You can't work in my store. You can't. And so when, um, when you have been, when that's ingrained in you, from your grandmother and her grandmother and her grandmother that this is who we are and this is what we can do and these people are beneath us, you have to acknowledge how that plays a role in how you think about black people and how you treat black people in this country. And you cannot deny it. If you grew up every day and your parents said that y'all are, your mother was taught and her mother was taught and her mother was taught that we are above these people. Not you don't even have to be outwardly mean to them. Just know. <laughs> you know what I mean? You can be yep. the kindest white lady in the world. You but can somewhere have all in the benevolence, you, but you always still hold that sense of superiority. Yes, that we are the other, that we don't belong, that we don't and people say, Oh, it passes over, it's old fashioned. No. It's because not. and I'll t- I'll take my own neighborhood for example. Uh we live in a pretty mixed community, and any time there becomes a pocket of black people, like a little bit more, the white people start fleeing for no reason. There's no crime. All these families are working families or students or old people that are retired. There's no people hanging out on the corner, hanging out on the streets, you know, making everybody uncomfortable or, or criminal activity, nothing. It's just the presence of black people devalues your neighborhood in some way devalues, makes it a place where you feel like, oh, I can't live here because it's getting kind of, and these are not old white people. These are 25-year-old white people. These are 30-year-old white people who, you know, you look at them and you talk to them and they're hipsters and they go to the farmer's market and they buy their books from the local bookstore and they they get it, man. They're voting for Bernie. I was going to (laughs) say, and what's even more um, sort of like uh, shit scary is that these are your liberal friends. Yeah. But you're not like those others. No, and but you are, and it's not that it's ingrained in the same way that the trauma is passed down, and the and we're still feeling the effects. It it works both ways. It works all the way around. And they and but but I think white people know that, like they know that, but people don't want to accept that about themselves. You know, and I think it's the same as like people. Some black people are like, you know, I'm cool. You know, white folks cool. Da 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 da. But when we get together, sometimes we're like, oh my god. <laughs> like I'm reading um, right now. <laughs> this is a little off topic, but I'm reading um, Mara Wilson, a little girl from Mrs. Doubtfire. Mm-hmm. I'm reading her memoir, and she's talking about how like she connected with this guy, and she's like, you know, we hold all the same values. Like racism is bad, and something else she said. But I was just like. 
really? Come on. Yes, racism is bad. Like, <laughs> you shouldn't be applauded for holding that as a quote-unquote value. Like, what the fuck are you even talking about? Nevertheless, white people, own your shit. <laughs> you do, you do. Um, but let's go back to some of these characters. And as I think about it, I think there's so much conversation to be had. I mean, I'll be able to go in depth on everybody. But um, I thought the H Black story, his name ended up being Black probably because he ended up being a coal miner. Do you mm-hmm. think? Okay. Um, so H ends up, we, when we come to H, he is, um, he never knew his mother because, uh, like you said, she killed herself. And um, he just grew up at a time when they were free and everybody. Now, H is also big. He's a big man. Big. And I think that that was important because, remember, his grandfather, his great, <laughs> wait, his great, great grandfather was um, the big man in his tribe. So he is big like him. Um, and he ends up, he's a little bit of a knucklehead, a little arrogant. He's been sharecropping. He's free, you know, and he decides, I know where a black man could get, build a good life, Alabama. So <laughs> he goes, naively goes to Alabama, and he is arrested. I don't remember what he was arrested for. For looking at a white woman. For looking at a white woman, allegedly, which I'm going to get back to that. But uh, <laughs> he ends up... Um, on a chain gang. On a chain gang. So basically enslaved again. Um, but this time these are all prisoners, con- ex-cons or current cons, convicted felons. And they are living, essentially living underground um, as coal miners. And I thought that was interesting when we start talking about slavery or forced slavery in, um, in terms of imprisonment and the prison system. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Go ahead, sis. Okay, <laughs> I see. I see you. Um, he ends up doing 10 years for the crime of looking at a white woman. Oh, God. 10 years for allegedly looking at a flaxen-haired beauty. So Okay, I don't have nothing popular to say. Okay, so <laughs> H ends up being, like, legendary down up in the coal mines because he's, I mean, at this point, there's black men working against what they call third-class white men who are felons, and they are all having to work together. And so, you know, the white men come in there like, I can't be down here with these black people. What do you really think this is? And in H's case, he ends up actually saving the lives of life of one of these men, and that's when the white men start to get it. Um, they are responsible for doing some crazy, like digging limbs, like a thousand, like a ton of coal a day. Yeah, like I think he was putting away like 12, no, like 14,000 pounds of coal a day. Yeah. And everybody else was scooping between 10 and 12. Yeah, and at one point um, he did, he had, they called, they started calling him two shovels because this white man <laughs> was going to get killed. Like if you didn't do it, you could be killed. It beat you to death. And the white man, they knew, he knew he wasn't going to cut it. And so he picked up his shovel and his, and he did his, and he did both of their share of the work for the day. Um, and they ended up helping him because he couldn't move the next day, which I thought was, it just kind of showed a camaraderie a little bit um, between um, these men that were in the same boat where color stopped mattering because they depended on each other to live, essentially. Um but he does his time and gets out. He ends up being a really good man um, and lives in, like, a coal mining community, and he continues to coal mine. Um, he has a family, and everything is all good, basically. Yeah, like, he becomes the union rep 
um, and he helps fight for basically a raise for all of uh, the guys in the coal mining union. Mm -hmm. um, and he's pretty much known as like an outspoken guy who gets shit done. Yeah, yeah. So he has a good, a decent ending. Um, and he ends up having a daughter named Willie, Willie Black, and we'll get back to Willie. Anybody interesting on the other side of the... <laughs> um... Alright, so we left off with James on the other side. Yeah. So then James and um, his wife, Akusua, uh, have a daughter, Abena. Oh, yeah. Okay, so James, we told you James was um, renamed Unlucky after he was, quote-unquote, uh, dead in war. Um, so in the village, they had been living in the village all this entire time, and they could never get a crop to pop. Um, and so everybody in the village called him Unlucky. Uh, he and Akusawa lived hand to mouth, basically. They always had to beg for food and things of this nature. Um, their daughter, Abena, I th mm -hmm. think is her name. Yeah, so she is friends with um, this guy. They grew up together. I can't remember. Uh, Ohene? Yeah. Okay. Um, they grew up together, and he becomes like a really uh, successful farmer, blah, blah, blah. There was always talk of him marrying her, taking her own as a second wife, but it never quite curled over because everybody said, oh, if you marry Unlucky's daughter, your crops are going to go to shit. And, you know, yeah, um, that's not the life you want to lead. But nevertheless, he is uh, essentially makes her his mistress. So refuses to marry her, but keeps but he says he's going to marry her well he said he's going to marry her after he has the next good crop mm -hmm. and so as soon as he makes that promise all of his crops turn to shit and mm -hmm. everyone in the village's crops just don't grow so the entire village is essentially in famine and they're all looking to ohene to make it right yeah so um but meanwhile he's still openly openly everyone in the town knows his first wife knows that he's <laughs> laying it low and spreading it wide yeah <laughs> and so she's and she's shamed like she's bought shame to her family but they're hopeful her whole thing is he's gonna marry me so it's all yeah, good like, like as soon as that crop pop you know he's gonna make me legitimate this will be fine this will be okay so they're they were carrying on for probably about six years and then um ohane like finds I think it's cocoa crop. Yeah. Yeah. So he finds cocoa. He plants the cocoa. For some reason, the cocoa can withstand everything that's going on and it flourishes and the town is great. So then the people are like, oh, okay, you know, um, hurrah, you've saved us. And Abena instantly knows that he's not going to marry her. Because so it all comes out in the wash that in order to get the cocoa um, seeds, he had to promise some guy in another village that he would marry his daughter. And so he didn't have enough once to again, take on. Yeah. Cast aside Abena. So Abena was like, I'm out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and what we didn't know is that when she was out, she was pregnant. Yep. Um, and she wound up going uh, to some white missionaries. Girl. So. <sighs> This is where a good point to talk about white people in black spaces. So let's do it. I wanted to say that. Let me pull up my notes. Okay. <laughs> um, throughout this book, no, there is a presence of white people. 
And there was some, uh, I don't remember who said it, but they talked about uh, how the white people are like cunning dogs. Where they Yeah, pretend. it was the, the name. Um, uh, shoot, I can't remember what they called white people. Yeah. Ahi um, uh, Asara or something like that. And what that one meant evil man or evil. But it was like a, um, it was like an evolution. Like the yeah. first word that they called them meant cunning dog. Yeah. And so they were saying that, like, they pretend to be your friend, they live amongst you, but their whole agenda is already, they have an agenda, and they come and they destroy and ruin everything. And so that's a, well, that's a theme through the book, <laughs> theme through history. Something that uh, happens. And so um, every time it seems like a white person is inserted into the story or they find themselves in white spaces, Things don't turn out well. Um, in Avina's case, she goes into this white missionary. Was it like a church, like a community, a yeah. center that they've they've come, and white people have come to teach the natives about Jesus and so. <laughs> so you know our Lord and Savior, right? And so um, they take her in, and she lives amongst them, and she starts to practice basically the white man's. <laughs> Christianity. And uh, we find out later that Abina is actually killed by one of the missionaries because they wanted her, this man wanted her to repent for the sin of being herself. Being herself, um, not being a white Christian, and also having this baby with no husband. Um, and so he goes to baptize her and he just never lets her back up and <laughs> kind of destroys um her life, I mean, destroys not her life, but her daughter's, her daughter's life. life. Um, because she's very much, she's pretty much an orphan, you know. Um, no, she's not pretty much an orphan. She is an she orphan. Is. And so, um, and then this, the same missionary takes her daughter, and her daughter is Akua. Um, and Akua, I couldn't decide if Akua was actually mentally ill, but I felt like she was. I felt like she definitely was. Okay. So Cole was mentally ill in a place where they did not acknowledge mental illness um, or didn't know what to look for. There was no name for that. You know, it's you're evil or you're crazy or you are possessed or you're a witch. And so um, she is struggling with some mental illness and, you know, rightfully so because she's dealing with some trauma. She was raised by this missionary who... Um, killed her mother, which she doesn't find out until later in life, but he is they call him a fetish priest which I don't know what that is. Yeah, I don't know what that is either. I was taking it to um, assume that it was like somebody who practices like hoodoo voodoo or like idolatry or something like that. They didn't want her doing any of this, so um, he would whoop her with the switch, this white missionary would whoop her with the switch and, oh, you repent, you know, God bless the queen, some bullshit, um, just trying to break her, you know, And but he also he was a little bit off too, and so Akua ends up leaving, she ends up meeting her husband, Asamoah, and um, he sees her in the area where the missionaries live, and he wants her to be his wife. Is that how I'm saying this right? Yep. Yeah, and so um, she just tells the man, I'm leaving, and that's when she finds out what he'd done to her mother. But she ends up having three children named Abina, Ama, and Yaw, and a very invasive mother-in-law. <laughs> so... Super hands-on mother-in-law who was getting <laughs> on my damn nerves. And so the mother-in-law ends up um, 
like they go to war, there's a war, and the men go off to war, and the mother-in-law is like, this girl is always staring at the walls, talking to herself and shit, going on these long walks, and almost burning a damn house down. She burns all the yams, <laughs> like, something wrong with her. And she puts her in a hut and puts this fat man in front of the hut door, and she locks her in there. And um, she kind of goes crazy. Um, yeah, she's having, like... um hallucinations where she sees this woman she calls the fire woman um and the fire woman comes to her like nightly so like at some point um she just tries to stop sleeping yeah and, and then um the husband comes back from war um with one leg yeah and he sees that his mother has had her locks up whatever so he frees her um they're trying to get their family back on track um she was actually pregnant i yeah. feel like for most of the time he was off at war yeah um, so then he came back uh the baby y'all was born um and then in a very tragic turn of events she says she lights the house on fire in her sleep and i don't know that i believe that no i don't think she like we said she's mentally ill and so maybe she thought she was doing so i don't know but she does, and she ends up uh, killing two of the children, and one survives. Yeah, the father is able to um, retrieve the baby, who was Yah, um, but the two girls do burn. Yeah, and so Yah is disfigured um, by the fire. He has a scar on his face that's pretty appalling, apparently, or pretty grotesque, because people always comment on it and kind of look at him. And, um, yeah, and he's like a part of like the folklore of the community because everyone knows the story of the crazy woman and how she set her kids on fire and how he was the only survivor. All right. So let's go on back over to America. So then we have H's daughter, Willie mm -hmm. H and uh, his wife at the, you know, they're good parents. They treat Willie really well. And they eventually die. And Willie ends up taking her singing ass because she could sing up to Harlem with her new husband, Robert Clifton, who is her childhood friend. Um, they go to Harlem and we're talking Harlem in the what? Twenties, thirties. Mm -hmm. And she, is not able to sing in the clubs in Harlem because she's too dark. The uh, they hold up the paper back to her face and say, "You can't sing here." Um, and of note, Robert is light enough to pass as white. So they drop that in there. Uh, Robert Clifton, they're like when they first met him when he was a little kid. Like, are you white? No, my mama says it's white in my family. It takes a while to show up. I'm like, okay, mom. <laughs> but he. Um, he, they have a hard time settling in because people think that Robert Clifton is a white man that has a black woman. And so um, they're staying with a friend, and eventually they do have a baby. Or no, they came there with a the baby. Yeah, they came there with the baby. Uh, Carson. And so when Carson... <laughs> so when Carson... Um, <laughs> so Robert starts looking for work. And he starts disappearing, and then he starts coming home. He, like, he sells all of his clothes and all spends up all their money to dress a certain way. And she's like cleaning houses and cleaning clubs and all kinds of stuff. And she finds out, long story short, that her husband is living a double life where in his other life he's a white man, and he is passing. Um, that's all I have to say about that. He eventually leaves them, abandons them, and she's left to raise Carson by herself. 
Doesn't she remarry? Yes. No, she. Oh, well, yeah, kinda. She lays up with this poet, which is like, and this would be equivalent of a rapper. Oh my god, <laughs> this dude is like fuckboy supreme. So she meets this guy Eli Dalton, um, who Tamika just says a poet, um, but he just really ain't worth a good goddamn. Yeah. <laughs> um, he takes all the money. He disappears. He's an alcoholic. Um, he leaves her with nothing but a seed in her belly. Named Josephine. And so she's got these two kids. And she eventually runs into Robert again. And this, when she sees him, her and her son have walked the city. And they have landed into, like, the white neighborhood. And they see him. And he's got a white woman and a white son. And they having a good old time. And they see each other. But she doesn't call him out. But it kind of frees her of all of the anger she has. Um, I would have personally blew him up right there on the street. Blew his spot up. Yeah, but she didn't. Um, and so then we have Carson. And Carson is... Okay, Sonny! Sonny, yeah. Carson is a, um activist of it, uh, initially. Like a real one. Mm-hmm. Like he marches and... You know, protests and writes letters to people. And gets and arrested several times over. He goes door to door to talk to the people about their housing conditions. He works for the NAACP like a real activist, like a real active activist. And so he um, eventually gets frustrated with that. Um, and he starts bartending. bartending. And Carson has kids all up and through yeah, I think at the point we met him, he'd had three kids mm-hmm. um, by three different women. Yeah. Um, and he wasn't making money, so he wasn't taking care of none of them. Uh, the girls would show up to his mama house all the time. Uh, and, of course, he had nothing for them. But the mama, as black mamas are wont to do, um, always made sure to send something to the different baby mamas on his behalf. And so when he was working as a bartender, he meets this woman, Amani Zulema. Um, Amani is not her real name, but I don't remember her real name is. But she's uh, Mary. Her name is Mary. Okay, she's a jazz singer and pianist, mm-hmm. and also a bass head. So, <laughs> um, the first time that he like really gets to know her, she takes him up to the dope spot and shoots up and is like, "You still want a piece of me?" And he like, hell yeah, and that dope too. So, <laughs> so he eventually gets strung out on dope. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, is unable to keep a job while he is strung out, uh, heavily dependent upon his mother to give him money. And this is when Willie finally tells him who his father is, because all this time he doesn't know that his mm-hmm. father was a white man. Well, he's not no white man. He's a passing man. Um, and Willie, I mean, think Sonny tries to change his life. I mean, it seems like the way the story is, after he kind of finds out about his father, he um, stays with Willie, never goes back to uh, Amani, and raises his son with the help of his mother and his sister. And he... Like, he still has trouble. Like, he goes to a methadone clinic. He has a job. It talks about how the routine of his life was important for his sobriety. And it made it clear that it, he slipped still sometimes, but he just, you know. We fall down, but we get up. Yeah. The same um, as a who just fell down. Um, so, <laughs> I hate that we didn't get to know how he got the baby. 
like I assume like at some point Amani came around being pregnant and then mm-hmm. Will was like, I'm not standing for this and as soon as you had a baby, this is this one's mine. Yeah, probably. Oh. Um so that ended up being them and their son ended up doing very well. The P- when we meet him, his name is Marcus Clifton, and when we meet him, he is in a PhD program at Stanford. Um, and very, you know, smart and well-to-do, very in touch with his daddy still and his grandma and aunties and everything. Um, but this is when I kind of was like, oh, sure, sure, sure. So let's go back to y'all. Y'all ends up marrying his house girl. We'll leave. We'll get to it. And they end up moving to America um, and living in Alabama. And he places. Right, and he's a community college professor, and I forgot what the mom is like a LPN or something. Mm-hmm. They have a pretty normal life, except you've got Marjorie, who um, was born in Ghana. We meet her; she's thirteen, and she's going to school in America. And this is where I was like, "Oh fuck, here we go." So, they <laughs> it was um, Marjorie is not welcome and not treated very nicely by the black kids. And they made fun of her. And they so made she, fun of her because she talked white and she read books. You know, black kids don't read books. And so she, um, and so she ends up like eating lunch with the teacher and befriending a white boy who was a military brat. And he's like her, very bookish, but also still very white and ashamed of her. Eventually, he starts dating a white girl, and he's like. You understand. <laughs> so <laughs> I wish I could take you to prom, but you know how that goes. Yeah, so I kind of got annoyed there because I'm like, oh yes, here we go. I, I was I was waiting for it. <laughs> as soon as they said Marjorie was 13, I was like, oh god, we got to hear about how all the black kids never made her feel welcome. <sighs> Whatever. So <laughs> <laughs> this is where the book took a turn. And this is why I say I didn't really like the ending. I didn't either. Um, so, uh, yeah, so we meet, you know, Marjorie. We hear about her special snowflake-ass childhood. Um, and then we meet Marcus, and we see him as an adult mm-hmm. in the successful sociology PhD program. He has this friend who ain't shit. Um, what's his name? Deontay. Mm-hmm. Um, and Deontay is always looking for the next best thing, if you get my hint, um, aka a chick. And so at some point, Deontay had met some chick at like a museum or something. He'd been on the hunt for her for like the past few months. And so he and Marcus are at this party and Deontay sees the chick. Mm-hmm. Now, if you were going for the predictability factor, you would think that the chick was Marjorie, but it's not. Dun, dun, dun. She fooled us. So the chick is actually a friend of Marjorie's, and Marjorie happens to be there as well. She and Marcus meet um, and form a friendship. Right. <sighs> Somehow they land. Question mark. Yeah. Um, and th- th- it was a very like random as way that they ended up in Ghana. Like they were talking about. Um, her being afraid of fire and him being afraid of water, which come on, come on, symbolism. Um, and then what's it? I gotta flip back in the book because I don't. And nothing happened. Like they're talking. I just about- felt like they just like randomly ended up in Ghana because he was he, like, "I want to know where I'm from." Like from Africa. Where, yeah, I want to know where. You're from. Oh, they had gone back to Pratt City. 
Alabama. That's what it was. So he was retracing his roots and he got all the way back to H. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they were in Pratt City and it was pretty much a dead end because the city didn't exist anymore. There weren't any records um, or anything. And she hadn't been back to Ghana since um, her grandmother passed away. And mm-hmm. so that's why they went back to Ghana. A, to help him find his roots and two, so she could return to her homeland as well. Um, and so they get to Ghana. They're like, um, she was going to give him the real, you know, uh, Ghanaian mm-hmm. okay. experience. Um, but then, like, as soon as they, like, get into the village or town or whatever, um, some kid is like, oh, 10 whatever the currency is in Ghana to tour the castle. And Marcus is intrigued. He's like, okay, let's do it. And she's like, no, that's what black tourists do when they come here. And he's like, I am a black tourist. So he goes to the castle, they're touring the castle, and Marcus has like a visceral reaction to being shown the dungeons. Um, And he like runs out of an emergency exit of the castle of some sort. Mm. And then she, of course, runs after him and they run into the water and splish splash. Around. There was a moment, like, like there was a fire, and he was like drawn to the fire, and he was standing close to the fire, and she didn't want to come close, and he's like, "No, come close." And then she came close, and they embraced, and then like she ran off and ran to the water. Easy. I'm sorry. Was a- come close, and then he ran into the water, and a wave knocked him down, and he was free. I don't know. I just thought that after the journey that we'd been taken on for the majority of this book, that this was such a cop-out way to end. Yeah, like they're cousins. Kind of. Kind of. Their ancestry is linked. and it's overlapped. Which is probably more true than we all want to think about. But mm-hmm. I, um, especially with all of the tribesmen having multiple wives and... Et cetera, yeah. et cetera. So, yes. but, but, it was such a weird ending for this book. Like, everything was really smart and, uh, you know, pretty original. And then to give us that, I was like, because when I read that, when I we got to the part where it was like, oh, you got to meet this girl, I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. I did not come this far for this Babysitter's Club ass ending. Oh, no. I did not need them to ever meet. Nope. I, did not I didn't either. I didn't, need that. I didn't need that quote-unquote full circle moment. I didn't. I just, that was the one part of this book that I was like, you get, this doesn't even sound like it goes in this book. Yeah, I did not love that ending. But, um, the rest of the story was really, really good. I wanted to talk about, one of the favorite quotes of mine in this book was from Yah when he was teaching, he was talking about forgiveness. Um, he was talking about um, white Christianity and how they always preach forgiveness. Um, and how... <clears throat> He didn't, you know, they thought that, you know, the, one of the themes of his book was religion and how the white Christianity is so different, how, you know, I kind of got, I walked away with, like, only the white man could create a religion where his is the only God and the only way, and everybody else's kind of religion is open to the possibility of there being more than one God or there being other um, beings. other beings and only of course white men think this way and he said they always preach to us about forgiveness and it's on page 238 turn in your bibles turn to 238 it says um he said uh he forgiveness 
they shouted all the while committing their wrongs. When he was younger, y'all wondered why they did not preach that the people should avoid wrongdoing altogether. But the older he got, the better he understood. Forgiveness was an act done after the fact, a piece of the bad deed's future. And if you point the people's eye to the future, they might not see what is being done to hurt them in the present. And, um... It made me think of Color Purple when Sophia told me, you better bash Mrs. Head open and think about having a later. later. <laughs> because, I mean, it's true. You know, so much of what, I think well, so much of what we're taught, especially in Christianity, is black people embrace Christianity, you know, like no other. And you're taught forgiveness. You're taught moving forward. And you wonder how much of that is really, you know, biblical or Christian tenets and how much of it is really what white people have inserted into Christianity in order to make themselves. Oh, it's definitely a cover your ass maneuver. Yeah. And, but this book really kind of changed the way I thought about religion. And I mean, not that I never thought about it in this way before, but um, all of the possibilities of of, of who God is and why is and how Christianity has been taught to us. Uh, remember, they had named was it Aksua? They named her Deborah, mm-hmm. and I was like Akua. I'm sorry, and they named her Deborah, and I was like Deborah. You know, but how much that 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 uh, missionary was trying to beat the African out of her, yeah. Um, her language, and it was somebody else in the book that said that they were punished every time they used their language, and then it eventually. Was Sam. Sam. Um, Sam, he refused to learn English, and he got punished every time. And the mission, and the um, abolitionist said when um, he found out um, Kojo's name wasn't just Joe, he was like, "That's how they do it. That's the thing they do. First, they take your name." Um, and so that theme was kind of looking at how, you know, why people use you know culture, but also Christianity to just take away your identity. This is wrong. Your name isn't this. This this is Deborah, and your your tongue isn't good enough. And eventually, you started to see where the parents, some of the parents in this book, were all for teaching their kids the lang- their language, but then you had some that wanted them that that preferred you know for them to speak English or to know English. It was it was it was seen as more prestigious. Yeah, there was that one part where, um, in Marjorie's story, where they thought they were going to have to put her in sped because she had grown up so used to speaking the native language mm-hmm. um, that they thought that she didn't know English at all. Yeah. And so they had to be, you know, like, the way that she communicated with her parents within their house had to be completely adjusted for that. Um, I just had a thought, and it just skated right out of my head. We talked to, I'm sorry. Go ahead. We talked about, you know, the the effects of the captivity and the slave slavery on all of us. I liked um, this other quote. Uh, Y'all was talking to his wife. Esther. Esther. Um, I think, yeah. No, he was talking to his mother when he came back to see her, and he was saying, when someone does wrong, whether it is you or me, whether it is mother or father, whether it is the Gold Coast man or the white man, it is like a fisherman casting a net into the water. He keeps only the one or two fish that he needs to feed himself and puts the rest in the water, thinking that their lives will go back to normal. No one forgets that they were once captive, even if they are now free. And I was, oh, his mom told him that. But I was like, yeah, that kind of, that's what that made me feel like. People, you don't forget that. And it's passed down. And I think the really important thing that um, Yasi did 
depicted in this book is she displayed, I mean, she gave us example after example of how shit is passed down, and we can say that these things happened so long ago, but everything is passed down. I mean, even from the stone to the fact that through several generations, these people seem to like to walk for miles. <laughs> like, did you notice that? There were I think they didn't have a choice. <laughs> no, I mean, even when they got here, they didn't have a choice, but I just noticed that it, it was kind of framed as, like, they like to walk. So, like, Essie would take those long walks with her dad. Remember when they were, like, she would take her by the finger when she couldn't sleep mm -hmm. and they'd walk. Uh, Willie walked the city. Um, Sonny. Uh, Sonny. Yes, and then Sonny um, ended up really enjoying it. And I think Akua was another when she would take the kids out. Remember, she, like, fell asleep on the rock because mm -hmm. they would walk for miles. And I was like, these things are kind of, I mean, that, and then, like I said, the Blackstone, and there was a couple of other things that they all kind of did where it was like, remember, family is family, lineage is lineage, things are passed down, and some things you're not going to be able to shake. Um, the fear of the fire and the fear of the water was, was another thing. Okay, <laughs> so other than the ending, was there anything else about this book you didn't like? Um, just the incompleteness of a couple of the tales, but I understood the reason why. I mean, because there's only so, you know, like there's only so much you can go on and on about without it then turning into you dragging something out. Mm -hmm. um, so I understood the need for brevity in the chapters at yeah. some points, but that was just my regular ass curiosity nosiness wanting to know every single detail about things mm -hmm. that happened um but now i think it was just the ending that really put the biggest bug in my craw yeah i think I that like this is just tied up like i don't necessarily think that ne things need to be tied up so neatly um especially when it's something like this where it's like a sweeping epic mm -hmm. i think that that we could have been perfectly fine with learning about both Marjorie and Marcus and not having their paths cross. Yeah. Yeah. It probably would have been a more dynamic. I, I got, I got like some of the messages that I, I, I could not, I, first of all, I thought the writing was great and I thought she was just phenomenal, but I really didn't, I would have liked to hear more about the hardships of living in Africa uh, and living in this part of Africa, I should say. Um, there was some sort of reference to like having to live with what they'd done um, as far as selling these people into slavery, and this is the price we pay, but it just, it never, I'm not saying she should have made up tragedy, but it just felt like it wasn't balance. Like, the way that I've always understood it, it's like, okay, well, you know, we had our share of shit we had to deal with with these, you know, the colonizer and the colonizers <laughs> and what the white people did to us. And she just didn't emphasize that very much. And I don't know if it's just because it didn't happen, but I felt like when it came to the Americans, it was like, let's highlight every bad thing that has happened to American people historically, even with making Sonny a, a, a dope thing. Like, yeah. I didn't, that I didn't like, because I thought Sonny was really smart. You know, he he had said, um, when she was talking about white men get a choice, you know, they get to choose their job, choose their house, they get to make black babies and disappear in the thin air. Oh, that was Willie. Um, 
like they was never there to begin with. Uh, they act like black women. They slept with or raped, done laid on top of themselves and got pregnant. White men get to choose for black men too. They used to sell them. Now they just send them to prison like they did my daddy so they so they can't be with their kids. Just about, So I, I, I think when she made Sonny a dope, head, dope fiend who didn't take care of his kids, I didn't understand why that was the choice that was made. Yeah, like that's not part of our legacy. And too, Mar- <laughs> Marcus's story was like not interdependent on that. Yeah. Um, but getting back to what you said about how um, it didn't seem like the line that was in Ghana for the majority of the book really um, exhibited like the struggle. Mm-hmm. I think it's because like the presence of white people in that story was very pop in pop out whereas the white presence was continual in the American story which is true and you know we can't they can live without white people like they can live without seeing a white person or having to interact or deal with a white person if they choose to as far as the characters in this book but we can't right <laughs> and, I'm, and, I'm, and like that goes for like the you know, like the power structure and all of that, like the only reason that white people re-entered the book um, as late as uh, Abena's story was because her mother made the choice to go to the white people and seek out the white missionaries. Right, right. But otherwise, no. (laughs) Otherwise, nothing, nothing doing. That was really interesting to me how that happened. Um, but it, it just, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't be offended. Maybe it's genuine. Some people might think it's genuine, but I was just like, come on. Like, a lot of black people, you know, we have to deal with the racist shit constantly. Do we also, sorry, do we also have to deal with, do we got to throw in that the daddy was a dope fiend and didn't take care of his kids? Couldn't he be like, <laughs> he didn't take care of his kids or he was a dope fiend? Yeah, I, I, now what I didn't like too was like, that was our first introduction to him too. Like yeah. it wasn't like, oh, Sonny was the activist. It was like, oh, Sonny is a deadbeat dad and he's in jail. Oh yeah, he's in jail because he's an activist. Yeah. The other thing, and this is going to seem, you know, nitpicky, but I felt like the black American women other than Ness. Um I feel like I know what you're gonna say were presented <laughs> in this way. Maybe not Anna. I mean, I don't know. But no, there was not any. They were kind of presented as uh, a little stupid. <laughs> a little... Weak, um, easily manipulated. Yeah. Where you had characters like um, James's wife and... Um, not James's wife, but... Oh, oh, what's his name? Oya, Oye, Oleander, Oh, James's son, James's dad, Quay, Quay, sorry, <laughs> um, where Quay's wife, wife was the princess of the Santi princess, and she didn't play no games with him, like, she didn't want him, but she knew the deal, um, all of these women were kind of, they were presented as strong and resilient even um akua you know she had her mental health problems but when she even when she they showed her as an older woman she was really wise and um i just felt like the black women later in the story like willie 
that over-dependence on Jesus, I guess, is real, but it also just made her seem really stupid and weak, and I didn't like that. Mm. And like I said, that might have been my own nitpick, but I was looking for more Ness, more Nesses, <laughs> you know, in this book, and um, I just didn't really get that. Even with Marjorie, she was kind of whiny, but she was also a teenager, so... <laughs> right. So, yeah, um, any more thoughts? Um, just one thought. If you are like me and you are a highly emotional being, I would recommend that you not read this in public, one. Yeah. And two, perhaps grab a travel-sized Kleenex mm-hmm. <laughs> to accompany you on your reading journey. Yeah, and I... I... I have a hard time with these books on the other side because while I do get sad, I also get really angry and it's really hard for me to interact with white people. Um, And I tell you, I I always feel like white people, even today, I'm always like, how are you proud of your heritage? Like, how are you throwing festivals and shit to celebrate (laughs) your ancestors? Or my great-great-grandpa was a great farmer, and he also, you know, hung black people. Like, how do you... How are you... Reconcile? Yes. Yeah. Yes, and what is that even... That's one of, like, the great questions that I always have. Like, white friends who listen to the show, how do you reconcile that? How do you feel about your ancestors who were this way? Are you proud of them? Um, And how, you know, some people I've heard say, no, I'm not proud of them. I'm disgusted with them. But, you know, it's my family and I love them. Like a bigger question is how do you feel with that being a part of your legacy? Because a lot of people like to distance themselves from those ancestors. Oh, we'll celebrate this part of them, but let's not think about that part. It's the same thing. You don't even have to go far back in slavery. It's the same thing as when um, ow, shit, I'm tripping, <laughs> literally. Um, people were lynching black people yeah, just a somebody, short 60 years ago. Yeah, when people will say like, yeah, I mean, like my grandma, she says things, you know, but I don't want to ruin Thanksgiving, so I just kind of, or even if they do speak up, it's kind of like, do you feel, do you like feel good about your grandma? Like, if you know that you're uncles and grandparents and great-grandparents participated in the lynching of black people, are you like, steal my papa or whatever? Or do you like, feel like... <laughs> oh, that's so papa. He's always talking about those niggers. Like, yeah, like, how does that work? Especially, like, how can you ignore when people say, oh, it was the past, I had nothing to do with me. I just don't... That's bullshit. Like, it's still a part of your legacy. It's I a don't, part of your legacy. Just because you weren't there to live it, it's still ingrained. And Hell, this book is a perfect illustration of how, how it doesn't works. matter if you do not, if you were not present during the circumstance, it still lingers on. It is so funny to me, especially when you hear why people say, you know, I'm, you know, trying to create a legacy for my kids, so I'm amassing all of this wealth so that my grandkids and their grandkids never have to work. And they acknowledge legacy then, then but nobody acknowledged, people don't want to acknowledge it now. And I think... You know, I think that our country as a whole hasn't done enough in an official capacity to acknowledge um, slavery and to apologize for slavery and um, the effects that it's had. I mean, because people can say what they want to say about, oh, you've got to move on, and blah, 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 but there's not, it's not an equal playing field, and it never will be. Nope. Um, my grandparents are still alive, and they experienced the hell. My mother, you know, 
<laughs> was a little girl when Martin Luther King was still on this earth and, and fighting. Um, and we're still going through the thing. And so I just, I just don't understand how, like, when to our white friends tweet us or email us, when you read these kind of books, if you read these kind of books, um, and you hear these stories, like, what does that do to you? I know what it does to me um, and how it makes me feel, and it hurts. You know, I don't know who my ancestors are. I don't know who <laughs> my great, 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 great grandparents are, where my people came from. I don't know. Um, but I feel really attached to the stories that I hear because it could be, you know, <laughs> I'm attached to all of them. Um, you could be my people. And how does that make you feel? So I did a, um, a really cool thing that I actually did not want to do initially. Mm -hmm. um, uh, last summer, a friend of mine and I, we uh, went to the widest place on earth, Salt Lake City, mm -hmm. um, because we were from there driving up to Yellowstone Park. Mm -hmm. But in Salt Lake City, um, in the Mormon compendium, there is like a, a, a genealogy center. Mm-hmm. And um, it's basically Ancestry.com on steroids. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and I was like, eh, I don't really know. And my friend, like, she was really gung-ho on doing it. She's like, no, you know, I want to see if I can find some info, you know, a couple um, generations back. Because I think it was on her mom's side. They could only go as far as, like, her grandparents or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. So I'm, like, going through, typing different family members' names to see if anything pops um anything comes up couldn't find anything on my paternal side but on my maternal side I actually found like a ledger from when my great-grandparents were sharecroppers oh wow and the census came through um and they had uh like uh the basic demographic information for uh my grandmother and her siblings and her parents um but like couldn't find anything beyond that Mm, yeah, that's kind of how my dad's side is like that because we're Jones, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> so it's like uh, we go back and then we can go back a ways, especially my grandmother's side, it's a little easier because um, of our maiden name. And then my dad, my mom's side, I know that we can go back on my paternal grandfather's side when my ancestors was one of the first black congressmen. Um, mm. Hiram, Hiram, Hiram Rebels was one of the first black congressmen, and that is an ancestor on my paternal grandfather's side. Um, my grand, my, my no, my maternal grandfather's side, and my, my my grandma. She doesn't. My maternal grandmother. She doesn't. I don't think anybody's ever bothered or tried. I know where her people are from, like Corpus Christi, um, and that gets real tough. Um, but yeah, it's it's crazy. And when you I remember being a kid in school and you hear like your friends are like, Yes, my family is part French and part Swiss <laughs> like how in the hell do you know that? My ancestors came over on the Mayflower. <laughs> yeah. I had a girl like that in my class. You're like, What? I'm like, Oh no, my family is from Mississippi. <laughs> okay. Like my people come from Arkansas, allegedly. <laughs> God. But you know, and you have to, I think this book attempts to explore, but also I'm sure there are other great books that do it too. What does that do to a group of people who have no roots and are roots important? I think they are. Um, I think we've been sold the idea that they're not important because it's easier 
on white people's conscience <laughs> to say that it's not important. But I think that, you know, when you're driving, we were just took a trip through East Texas and you can feel, you know, uh, where my husband's from is a lot of pine trees and trees. And every time I go through there, I'm just like, all I hear is strange fruit, strange fruits. <laughs> and then, hell, I'm from Missouri, so it's not much better. And then um, when they were talking about H's story and the black coal miners, and there's people in the ground, the coal miners that were just left to die down there. So we're in the ground and we're in the trees and we're everywhere, our body and our blood, and we have to live in this country and then have to have people tell us, well, that was a long time ago, don't worry about it. Like, about it. Get, get over yourself. Use your bootstraps to pull yourself up. And You're you so know. much better off than they were. Yeah. Am I? Yeah. And are we? Because I feel like at least they knew where they stood. <laughs> they knew where they stood at all times. <laughs> Meanwhile, today I had an encounter and I was like, I don't know how to react. Like, let me, it's, I don't want these white people to think I'm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, one show that we should do, and um, if you're listening still, because I know this is going long, but I don't care, um, <laughs> uh, that you should Tell us about your reaction, your visceral reaction to books like this or any kind of slave narrative or any kind of – it doesn't have to be slave, historical, anything that tells our history really. Hell, it could be 1970. <laughs> you right. Know. How does it make you feel? Like, are you able – I know some people were like, are you going to watch Roots? I was like, nope, I got to go to work in the morning. I can't go to work and deal with these white folks and have to – because I just want to ask, like, I, I know it's crazy, but I'll look people in the face and be like, oh, my God, like, if this was 40, 50, 60 years ago, you'd have spit in my face, dude. <laughs> like, and, like, I don't have, I don't have a filter at work already. Mm -hmm. So I can just really imagine just things not going too well for the kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh my god! I already make like second-class citizen comments now, so yeah. it would probably have been worse. I remember sitting at a table with a guy I used to work with, and his family is from South Carolina, and they had a lot of money. He's actually like a—I was in the Navy, so he's like a democratic strategist. He's like a planner. He's really does that work now. But he um, was talking about like his child, like something about at home, and he's like, "Yeah," I was like, "You got maids." We used to make fun of him for being rich. And I'm not thinking in my head he's from fucking. Charleston. So I'm like, are you? I was like, you got amazing family. He's like, yeah. We got so and so. She raised me. Her family's been working for my family for years. And I was like, I bet so. I was like, huh? And he's like, no, no, it's not like that. I was like, maybe it's not like that now. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> but her family's been working for your family for years. I said, see, your family has slaves. He was so embarrassed. Bless his heart. But let's have a real conversation when you say things like that black lady's family has been working for my family for years. Okay. Did they have a choice at certain points? Yeah. So it is, it is an interesting thing, but I'm interested in knowing how people react to this, to our history now. And what does it do? I'm like Sonny. No, I'm not like Sonny, but I understand Sonny when Marcus was talking about his daddy, how he just, he hates white people. I mean, and I mean, that's a reality too. You know, a lot of older black people, they may not hate white people, but they don't see but it for them. They don't fuck with them. <laughs> they don't see it for them. They, they don't. They don't trust them no further they can throw them. Nope. And I mean, I don't care how. Their experiences color that though. Yeah. You just care. have like, I even now, like, and I have, I think I have like a, a fairly decent amount of white friends. Mm -hmm. um, but even now, in some situations, I'm like, 
Okay. Like a, a prime example of this. So one of my friends, um, like every 4th of July, I go to Milwaukee and I um, hang out with my friends up there mm-hmm. uh, who are all white. And so one year, one of them was like, oh, my family's having a party. We should go over there. And I was oh like, God. should we? Should yeah, we all go? I already know where this is going. Um, yeah. Um, but no, like I, I was just like trepidatious because I'm like, okay, I'm pretty sure that like I'm probably the only black friend you have in life, uh-huh. and so I'm just like, I don't know what the hell this family situation is gonna be like. But they actually were super cool, super welcoming. Like it was like, oh my god, like the auntie was like, oh you drink whiskey like me, come on, yeah, <laughs> you know. So, but it's it's ingrained. Always ha- it's always having to second guess and always having that fear Mm -hmm. because you never know what's gonna where if where you're going is going to be safe and that's what blows my mind people were like oh it was years ago and i have to tell people all the time there are times when i am traveling with my family especially if we're driving where i have to think about do i want to stop here where am I going to <laughs> do we need to get gas right now or can we wait? <laughs> like that's that's the reality of the situation and the fact that even when I enter situations here at home, when you go into places you always wonder, are they going to be welcoming? Are the people going to be nice? Are they going to look at me funny? Are they gonna treat me like the help or like I'm an animal in the damn zoo? And the novelty of having a black person in your presence is going to just be so cute to them. You know, it's like mm-hmm. you, you don't you go through life with that filter. And it's not a matter of always thinking everybody's out to get you, but it is a defense mechanism that you have to have. And you're born with it. And no, I mean, you're born into it. And the first time you're walking down the street and somebody yells out the word digger to you. Yeah. You grow up just saying, okay, I'm about to take this walk <laughs> down this busy highway, and I know that it's a real possibility that somebody's going to shout that out to me. Mm-hmm. It's things like that, and I just feel like, you know, to tie it back to this book, it encompasses so many things. It's so layered. Um, I think she just did a masterful job, a masterful job. Um, Yag Yassi went to Iowa. Uh, she is a alum from the Iowa Writers Workshop and um, I know that Iowa or from what I read still has its issues with kind of um, things that the that writers of color specifically black writers have to deal with um, within that program but they are you know from where I'm sitting turning out a diverse group of alum who and who are writing their faces off yeah yeah they are and like and who are not being confined into writing one thing yeah you know what i'm saying like i just think about it like so this story and um angela florinois to turn a house um mm-hmm. and i'm using her as an example because she's also an iowa alum mm-hmm. um are both very uh much about like the evolution of family right yeah yeah but they're two completely different ways of storytelling um mm-hmm from the construction to even how they followed the journey. Yeah. Um, I would be interested to know how these workshops, how did those workshops go? Yeah. Like, Uh, and how much explaining did you have to do or justification did you have to put forth? Or eye rolling. Yeah. Anyway. We've been talking our asses off. This show about to be long. It's going to be long. Um, Um, 
We ain't got to do the last segment, right? No, we ain't, no. Nope. Okay. All right. It's been real. All right, bye.